see each of you here and hope that you'll be benefited by the study of the morning and the things we're going to talk about. I've been studying a little bit in the book of James and it's a book that's very interesting to me and very applicable to the everyday life of a Christian. I saw a guy as I was doing the study for today's lesson that described it as the Proverbs of the New Testament. I never thought about it like that, but I think in many ways there's a good resemblance there with just all the practical life advice that we can find there. So I sort of determined that I'm going to start doing a series of studies on that book, and today's we'll start um, with a message we find in James chapter 1. He uses a metaphor in this chapter about a mirror, and I want you to think about this morning as you were getting ready for church, what you think about as you looked in your mirror, I would, don't need a show of hands, but I would presume most people over the age of 10 probably looked in a mirror this morning as they were getting ready. And in some cases, that's a very mechanical thing that we do and a very habitual thing that we do. And we think about combing our hair and brushing our teeth and shaving and putting on makeup and all the things that we think about. But, you know, every now and then when we look in the mirror, we think, man, I might have gained a little weight and not kind of realize that it snuck up on me. Or we notice things about our skin that may make us concerned about skin cancer or some condition and things like that. And I think the, the way it's described here in James chapter one is it's just a really good metaphor for life and a good metaphor for spirituality as well. And I hope to teach some of those things this morning. The specific passage we're talking about is found in verse number 23 of James chapter one, where he says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. So he talks about this man that that looks at himself in the mirror, and you see all of the things that we would see in the mirror, and then when we walk away from the mirror, you forget everything you just saw. If you thought you needed to comb your hair or brush your teeth, and you walk away without doing that, and he's specifically talking about not doing what the Word tells us to do there, and we're going to obviously talk about that a good bit this morning as well, but... He talks about a lot of things in this chapter, and I didn't really realize it till I read this chapter through, looking at everything in context and all the things that he says here. There's probably 20 different sermons you could pull out of James chapter 1. I suppose you could say that about every chapter in the book. But we're going to look at a lot of the verses here in James chapter 1 this morning and some of the practical advice that we can learn from that. He, he goes on to say, immediately following this, and I'm having some technology problems, apparently. Hopefully that'll keep up. Um, he goes on to say in the immediate verse following, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. And I think it's important to establish as we're thinking about this metaphor of the mirror and looking in the mirror this morning that we understand he's talking about God's word. And he calls it that, the perfect law of liberty here. And so as we're thinking about these things, recognize that the spiritual mirror that we're talking about this morning is the Word of God. And so everything that we're talking about is what kind of reflection we see as we look to God's Word and what it says to us and what it says about us. In verse number 21 of the chapter 4, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. This is one of those verses that that sort of rings back memories of the, of the King James version of that. So I put that word in there too. The King James version re- describes that as the engrafted word. And I, I like that word a little bit better. I think mostly just because it sort of invokes certain uh, uh, pictures in my mind of, of what he's trying to talk about here. But the way that he describes the word as being engrafted. I think about a, 
a kid that uh, lived down the street from us growing up, Roddy Mendoza. He had a he was a few years younger than me, but he had a, a childhood cancer situation. I don't even remember much about what that situation was, but it was related to his back, and he had a spot on his back, uh, one of his shoulders that he had a cancer when he was very little, and they had to do some, uh, you know, some procedures and take away parts of muscle and things like that. And after he had those procedures, they had to go back and try to make that look as good as they can, and so they used skin grafts. And I always have, I have a vivid memory of how his shoulder looked in my head and how they grafted new pieces of skin to that little section of his shoulder that they had to take out. And I think about that in terms of what he's saying here in the Word and how the Word is supposed to change our lives and what it's supposed to do to us when it becomes engrafted in us. There's a noticeable difference there. His shoulder didn't look like it did before he had all those surgeries. There was new skin, and it didn't look quite right, and it had sort of a plasticky look to it. That's probably come a long way in the last 30 years and is a different process nowadays from what I remember but it was part of his body now. And that's the way the word is supposed to be to us. And if we're to use the word as a mirror in our lives and look at our reflection in it, it's gotta become that way. There's another thing that brings to my mind. We had a, at our old house of ours, we had a tree in the front yard that um, you hear people talk about grafting of trees together. And I saw that process. This wasn't something that somebody did intentionally, but these were two trees that sort of grew together. And, it, and the two trees would rub their limbs against each other. And at one point in time, they sort of became one tree. The, the limbs kind of merged together and grew together. And I think that's just a good picture of how the word is supposed to be in our lives and what he's talking about here. As we look at our lives against the, the mirror of God's word, let's make sure that we're doing that. The second thing that I think we learn in James chapter one is the idea about personal conviction. You know, we... Think about the, the scriptures being um, a spiritual mirror for us. One of the key facts of that is personal conviction. You know, think about all of the things you, when you look in your mirror, all of the things that go through your mind, right, about the maintenance items like we're talking about, and then the times when you think, man, I'm getting a little overweight, I need to make changes, and you know, I might need to clean up my diet a little bit, or I'm not exercising any. I need to get back on the train to exercise and do all those things that I need to do. And that's the way the scriptures work, too, when we look at them. There's daily maintenance things that we see in the scriptures. We know we need to pray. We know we need to worship. We know we need to do good to others, all those maintenance things. But every now and then, we look in the scriptures, and they say, you're messing up on this, and you need to fix it. And that's what they're designed to do, and we shouldn't shy away from that. Just like when we look in a mirror at our physical appearance, when we're overweight, we get unhealthy, we know we need to do it and take care of those things. And so I think personal conviction is an important part of what he's trying to teach here. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and of morrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed in the eyes of him to whom we must give account. See, the scriptures work in a similar way. Look at the language he talks about here. It's sharp and it's piercing and it is able to discern your thoughts and your intents, the things that you think about and the things that you worry about. The scriptures can discern those things. And, it's, and it divides those things apart and it sets them apart and it pierces your heart. It's convicting and it's supposed to be. In the same way as we look in a mirror, we know we should go lose weight. We know we should eat better. We know we're causing our own health problems sometimes. And when we look at the scriptures, it's supposed to have that effect on us. It's a, in a very personal way. 
You know, I think about, I was thinking about this idea of personal conviction. I, I want to be distinct about the fact that it's personal conviction. You know, we can use the scriptures to talk to others as well and, and convince other people about the gospel and convince other people about godly living and those types of things. But at the end of the day, it's a personal conviction. I've never gone up to my mirror and looked in it and squeezed my gut and kind of thought to myself, Danny needs to lose 15 pounds. It just doesn't work like that. And the scriptures don't work that way either. They're, they're to get our own lives in order. And we can help other people see that. We can take the mirror to other people, but, but the personal conviction part is important. And we should use it that way. You might remember the passage in Ephesians chapter 6, if I can get this clicked right here, where he's talking about the, the armor of God, putting on the armor of God and all the descriptive things that he talks about there and the various pieces of defensive armor and you have the the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, all those things that you think about in armor. You know, my mind goes back to medieval times with armor and all the armor that the knights wore and all that. But think about how he describes the, the word here. And he says, it's the sword of the spirit. Of all the things that he talks about there, the word is the offensive weapon. You have all of these other pieces of armor for defense, but the word is offensive and it's convicting and it's supposed to be that way. And I think as we think about this, looking in the mirror this morning, it's such an important concept that we need to understand. In Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse number 29, I found a passage that I liked a lot, and he's not specifically talking about convicting, uh, you know, personal conviction here, but listen how he describes the word here. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I'm against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I'm against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I do not send them or charge them. So they did not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. See how he describes it? It's like a hammer and it breaks things. And he and he's disgusted by the people that misuse that, the people that lie about it, and the people that lead people astray with it. It disgusts him. Let's be personally convicted about when we look in the mirror of the Scriptures and let that lead us to do things differently. Another thing that I think he points out in James chapter 1 that's really important is this idea of our perception of religion versus perception of religion. You know, many times in life we have our own ideas about things. We like to think we're free thinkers and have the ability to do so and, and direct our own lives and all these things. But if we really, truly look at the, at the mirror of the Scriptures, the Scriptures are clear that we should not rely on ourselves in that. We should not lean on our own understanding in that. Our ways are not like God's ways. All the verses that we read out of the prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah and all those things, and we'll fail if we do that. But we have our own perceptions that are skewed, Right? Us guys walk up to the mirror, and even if we're 20 pounds overweight, we're still going to flex in the mirror just to see if we still got it. It's just part of being a guy. It's just what, the way things work. But things are skewed. Sometimes we gain that 10, 15 pounds, and when we look in the mirror, we don't notice it. You know, sometimes you need to see a photo of you on Facebook from a different angle or something, and then you're like, I'm getting a little pudgy, but I don't see it necessarily. And so we get skewed, and I think we do that with religion many times too. We get these ideas of what we should be doing and thinking. Maybe we're not studying as much as we should. Maybe we're not 
actually using the word to direct that as much as we should, and we drift in that. And we think that we're being religious, and we're not. Listen to, listen to what he says here in our chapter. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, we look in the Word, it often tells something different about what our religion should be than what we think. And he's using the example here of, of the tongue, right? The, 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 maybe the most preached thing out of the book of James, the taming of the tongue. And he said, if you can't do that, your religion is worthless. It doesn't matter what other stuff you do. If you can't take care of that, your religion is worthless. But that's not what we think. We think we got to stand up and speak our mind and give our peace and let everybody know what we think. And he says, a man that can bridle that is a man that's got things under control. And then he goes on, and it seems such a kind of a juxtaposition of, of ideas here. He's saying, you know, tame your tongue, but then he talks about visiting the fatherless and widows. And it just goes to show you, the way we think about things isn't the way that God thinks about things. So let's think about what God wants our religion to be, not what we want it to be. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number one, he says, the plans of the heart belong to the thing is from the Lord. All of the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The scriptures are clear over and over again. When we rely on our own wisdom and understanding, we're gonna fail. And he says that, that you know, we, we think things are pure on our own eyes. We think our motives are good. We think what we're doing is good. We need to be checking that against the scriptures. We need to be seeing if that's what he wants us to do. He says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Let's make sure that our religion looks as much like what God thinks it should be as we can. Again, in our chapter, he says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Again, this idea that the way we think about things isn't the way that God thinks about things. We get angry and mad and upset, and all of those things that we want to do when we're that way don't lead to godly reactions, don't lead to righteous reactions. And we pretend to be religious, but we let our tongues betray us. We pretend to be religious, but we let our anger guide us to act in a way that's not godly or not Christian-like. And that's what he's warning us against here. And I think it's a great lesson that we can learn from this chapter. I think doing a frequent check on those things will help us to, to do a better job of making sure that we're practicing a religion that, that God would approve of and not just looking for approval of ourselves or of, or of any other man. All right, so the meat of this metaphor, this mirror metaphor, is being doers of the word. Remember, he said, the man that looks at himself in the mirror and walks away from that and forgets what he saw is, is, is not doing what I want him to do. They're, that's not the reaction I would want him to have. And it's like looking, in the, looking at the scriptures and seeing and understanding what he us to do and being forgetful of that and walking away and not making any changes, not making any kind of application to our lives, not doing what he's asked us to do. And that's what he's guarding against here. We didn't read all of verse number 25 earlier. He goes on to say, being no hearer for acts, and he will be blessed in his doing. So the person that actually acts on what he sees. We look in the mirror, I know I need to lose 10 pounds. I'm gonna go eat a salad instead of a donut. I'm gonna get up and go exercise a little bit. I look in the mirror of the scriptures and I see that I'm doing something sinful. I'm seeing that I'm not doing something I should be doing. 
I'm not going to turn away and forget about that. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to study on it. I'm going to go make changes in my life and do what he's asked me to do. That's what he expects us to, to do, and that's the, that's the reaction he expects of that. And I think it's obviously the critical point of this whole study is that we, that we look at that mirror of the Scriptures and we, and we act on it, that we do something about it. And I think another thing that I think about when you just think about this, and he, he, he obviously doesn't talk about this specifically here, but when you just think about this metaphor of the mirror, something that I think about is a really important part of Christian living that we don't talk about enough is how big of an impact small and incremental changes can make. If I know I need to lose 10 pounds, something as little as cutting out a little bit of sweets can matter. Now, I can't not go get that donut and expect tomorrow to wake up and be five pounds lighter on the scale. But if I don't get that daily donut for six or eight weeks, then I might get on the scale and be five pounds lighter. And I think spirituality works that way a lot of times. We, we think, you know, we get convicted of something. Sometimes you just need to hit it with the hammer, right? And get, get over with. The Bible talks about that. If you, your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. But sometimes a little incremental change can be different. Maybe you need to pray more. So maybe you start a, a quick daily prayer at bedtime. You know, maybe you need to study more. Maybe it's your, your study life's not where it should be. You, you know, you pick one scripture a week and you hang it on the refrigerator and you read it every day. And these little incremental changes add up to big results over time. And I hope that we can figure that out and use that in our lives. Spiritual matters work the very same way. In Matthew chapter 7, he gives another parable that's very similar to this parable with the mirror. You might remember this when he likens um, the man who hears the words of God. And he says, the guy that hears those words and does them is like the, the man that built his house upon the rock, right? And the rains came, rains descended and the floods came and the wind blew and all these things happened and his house was secure. But the, the guy that doesn't do those things is like a, the guy that built his house on, a, on the sand. And the rain came and the wind blew and all these things happened and, and his house fell and great was the fall of it. And I think that, you know, these, these metaphors are so powerful because it's everyday life stuff that we understand, right? We understand what it means to have a foundation. I'm in the process of trying to build a shop at my house and I had to have a guy come in and do, bring some dirt in for that because there's not a flat spot on our property. And so he had to come in and bring a little bit of dirt in to do that. And I watched that process, and I'm interested in it, number one. But number two, it's just fascinating to me because of how they do it. It takes a lot of preparation, right? They bring a little bit of dirt in, level it out, bring a water truck in, spray water on it, pack it down before they can bring in the next load, and then they, they keep doing these little layers. And after a while, you have a nice flat pad that's compacted properly, that's ready to have concrete put on it. I haven't got to that part yet, but it's set up and built properly so that when you put a structure on it, that structure will hold up over time. And all of these various weather elements and those things happen, and it holds up. But if we would have just thrown some dirt out there and spread it around and made it look good and didn't do the compaction and all the water stuff and all that, it just, it's not the same. And spiritual matters are the same way, right? We got to make sure the foundation is good. And that's what he says. The people that hear the word and actually do it, that's the foundation that you need to base your spirituality on. And so we got to make sure that we have a proper foundation in that. And that's what he's trying to teach us here. There's another example. You might remember the story in 1 Samuel chapter 15 when Saul was instructed to go wipe out the Amalekites. And 
if you go back and read that story, you remember how he was told to just destroy him, wipe out everything, get rid of it all, all that stuff. Well, they came back with some of the stuff, right? They picked out the best animals that they thought. Remember what he says here? He said, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. I got on the mission which the Lord sent me. I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoils, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Now, I think you can argue that it, the motive wasn't solely just for sacrifice. That was sort of his answer here. The motive was probably selfish desires a little bit too. But you can see all the things that we're talking about here in this story. He had this perception of religion that didn't match God's. God told him to do things a certain way, and he didn't follow after it. And Samuel's calling him on that. And Samuel says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Very clear message that God wanted things done his way. And as we think about all these things that we're talking about this morning, making sure our religion is good, doing the word, being, you know, not just hearing it, following after that, example after example for us to, to look after and see that. And Saul, you know, I don't know if he truly thought he was doing good or if he understood that he was messed up. You know, he said, I was doing, I was obeyed the voice of the Lord. Maybe it was just a situation where his, percep, you know, his, his perception of, the, of religion was off from God's, you know, think there was a lot of just straight disobedience there as well. Let's be doers of the word. The last thing I want to talk about that we learn here in James chapter 1, and I think the mirror metaphor works really well with, is understanding about hard times that we face in life and the wisdom that comes with that. You know, thinking about looking in the mirror, I'm 43 years old now, so when I look in the mirror now, I see thinning hair, I see some age spots on my skin. I see a few wrinkles on my forehead. I see some lines going out from my eyes and things like that. And I don't want those to be there, but they're there. I mean, there's, I'm not going to go get plastic surgery to fix any of that stuff. But I think part of the process of aging is to help you understand that, that life is short, that life is hard at times. And you look in the mirror and you see that. You're reminded, those physical features remind you of the hard times you've gone through in life. There was a lot of sleepless nights with a set of twins that I'm convinced a lot of these dark circles and things like that came from. And people go through hard events in life, losing loved ones, battling diseases, all the things that were people that we're praying for today, right? There's hard things in life that when you look in the mirror, you're reminded of. And God talks about the trials of life, and that's talked about here in James chapter 1 as well. Earlier on in the chapter, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When, we're, when we look in the mirror, the scriptures were reminded about what the trials of life are. They test us. They test our faith. It's, they're hard for a reason. It's real situations. It's challenging times. On the other side of that is an increased faith and wisdom, the wisdom that comes with that. And we can pass things on to our kids. We can pass things on to younger folks, younger generations. Maybe they don't have to learn lessons the way that we learn them and the hard times that we go through. And the wisdoms that, 
the wisdom that is produced from that is something that can't be replicated without going through some of these trials. It's just the way it is. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 6, he talks about this as well. He says, in, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found and result in praise, to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, do, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I read verses like this and I think, man, these, this verse was designed for 2020. You know, this got COVID written all over it. You think about such a challenging year that it was for everybody. And in many ways, many challenges that weren't COVID related for many people, many of our congregation as well. And you just read verses like this and you can't help but find comfort in that or you should be able to find comfort in that. And you're, you know, he talks about gold being tested by fire and how, how your faith tested is far better than that. You know, you see, I don't know if you ever watch him I see some of these videos on the internet where these guys are making stuff out of steel and they, they heat it up and you know, get it glowing orange and then they take it over to an anvil. I have no idea what they're actually doing, but they beat the snot out of it for a while on the anvil and they dip it in some kind of fluid and they take it back to the fire and they heat it up again and you see this stuff flaking off of it. And it's this process where it's just heated and tested and pounded and it's just abused so that it becomes a really hard substance, and it becomes the tool that they want it to be, right? Whether that's a sword or an ax or a knife or whatever it is they're making. And life works that way. You go through these trials in life, and if you hold on, if you, if you deal with the process good, you come out better on the other side. And I like here how he talks about this thought, and he wraps it up saying, you, you obtain the outcome of that, the outcome of your faith which is the salvation of your souls. And it's so important that we don't lose sight of that and the stronger faith that we get at the end of that. Verse number 12 of our chapter, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those that love him. Such a good chapter with so much good and practical information in it. And like everything else in life, we're, we, we're motivated by rewards, Right? And that's what he talks about here, the reward of that, the reward of all these trials that you go through here and what you gain from that. He talks about the man that endures the trials and the reward that awaits, and we have to keep that in mind. And just like you think about the rewards of physical things, right? You think about the reward of, of making an effort to lose weight and how the scale starts to go down and how you feel better and you sleep better and you have energy and all those things. We're motivated by rewards, and I hope we can see that as we think about looking in the mirror this morning. I hope that uh, the study's benefited you in some way. I want to challenge everybody this week. Could you uh, use, your, use the tool of your physical mirror to think about your spiritual mirror. When you get up in the mornings this week and, and start to brush your teeth and look in the mirror, give a little bit of thought to your spirit, the spiritual side of that. Think about something in the Word that you need to work on or do or look at and make some, li- make some little incremental changes this week, and I think you'll benefit from that. If there's anything, anyone here this morning that has any kind of a need that the church can help with, um, 
if you need prayers on your behalf or on behalf of someone else or if you have any other need obeying the gospel, we want to offer an invitation at this time and we offer the service of the church to help you in any way that we can if you would come as we sing the invitation song.